On this episode, Jason ruins my life with Randy Newman. Kelsey, I'm glad to have you on my podcast, even though you're a short people. I'm not that short. How tall are you? 5'4". That's pretty short. That's average height for a woman. Actually, you're right. I think it's a little bit above average height, actually. No, it's the low bracket of average <laughs> height. 5'3 oh. is short. 5'4 is average. Well, I guess I'm sorry or you're welcome. I'm short. It's fine. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And today we're talking about Randy Newman. Yes. Singer, Singer songwriter. songwriter. Whoa. Whoa. What's happening? Same. Same. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I ruined the same. Award winner. Randy Newman. Was Orchestrator. Born... Wait, are we still going? I was just naming a more adjective sorry. i mean you just if you just want to freestyle this whole thing you can go no go ahead <laughs> i don't trust myself enough i mean you were right so far yeah orchestrator composer a- composer activist no i don't know hero some might say most probably wouldn't he has the superpower of being able to make you cry during cartoons <laughs> so randy newman Born in 1943, he's an American singer-songwriter. He's probably best known, though, for his work on film soundtracks, composing scores for a number of movies, uh, most notably probably a bunch of Disney and Pixar movies, uh, such as Toy Story, which he both composed the the, the score score for. And the songs. And he also wrote the songs, including uh, You've Got a Friend in Me. You've got a friend in me. And also Toy Story 2, for which he also composed and also wrote the song, When She Loved Me, yeah. uh, the saddest fucking song, song of all ever time. Ever in a Disney movie, yes. Ever. ever. It's full stop. Full stop. <laughs> and it's, it's not just Disney Pixar movies, though. He's scored a bunch of movies. Yeah. Uh, I have a list here. This Please. is just a partial list. Ragtime, The Natural, Parenthood, James and the Giant Peach. Ooh, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, which that one's got some songs in it, so it's yeah. a little bit more obvious. Yeah. Uh, a Bug's Life, which I don't remember having any songs in it. Me neither. Mm. That's a Pixar movie, though. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasantville. Oh. Uh, Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Wow. Yeah, he's not above getting, you know, cash and a check. Good for him. He's a working man. Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University. Yeah. Okay. Well, Pixar. I'm assuming if it's Pixar, he probably did it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Cars. The Princess and the Frog, which is not Pixar. No, but, but it's Disney. great. It's, it's yeah, a, a, a classic. I really like the classic. songs in Princess and the Frog, which is, as we'll get to, my really only previous knowledge of Randy Newman as Randy Newman. Uh, he scored Seabiscuit. Okay. The World's Fastest Horse. Leatherheads. <laughs> okay. And, and that's just a partial list. He also okay. weirdly uh, did a bunch of songs on the soundtrack for Cats Don't Dance. Which I don't know if you ever saw I that movie. I feel like I saw that movie. You probably saw it like on a VHS what is the rental concept? from uh, when you were a child. Uh, it's about a cat who moves to Hollywood. Okay. Like to, get a, to get a job dancing. Sure. But they don't dance. I, I kind of place in that like weird... like. Wait, is it a cartoon? Yes. I've definitely seen it. 
I have I'm, definitely seen this movie. I'm sorry. Were you picturing a live action cat going to Los Angeles to, to be a I'm famous sorry. Dancer? Have you heard of a little series called Beverly Hills Chihuahua? <laughs> because I'm pretty sure live action cat going to Hollywood is a movie that would get made right now. You think the same way where the Airbud movies have become basically just fantasy adventures about a group of talking puppies? Yeah. Like if... If the That Darn Cat series had gone on in that vein, yeah. we, would, we would have eventually gotten to the live action Cats Don't Dance. Yes, definitely. I kind of place Cats Don't Dance in the same like mental subcategory as like Rock-A-Doodle Do. Yeah, those sort of like off-brand animated movies from like the 90s. Yeah, that sort of gave you weird feelings as a kid because they weren't good. Yeah. I had that thing as a kid where I reacted to movies that were bad. Like they, they just made me sad. And I didn't know why. Yeah. Uh, Although there's like there's some of those off-brand movies that I like enjoyed. Yeah, because Don Bluth made a number of those off-brand yeah. movies, but he also made uh, what is it, a Gnome in Central Park? Oh. The ultimate my my mind off-brand rented as a kid because my grandparents didn't know better. Movie to me is uh, Rover Dangerfield. Have not seen that. Oh, have you heard of it? No. Uh, well, you know Rodney Dangerfield. Yes, I assume he's the voice. Yeah. He voices a dog who, for some reason, has all his mannerisms and all his material. So it's an animated dog doing a Rodney Dangerfield shtick all through... I don't remember the plot. This is not important. Why? Uh, good question. I don't know. I just think of, like, Balto, which I loved. And, like, the Brave Little Toaster, which was great. Yeah. Yeah, so there are good ones that... Yeah. It's hard to... But no, rock, rock, that was bad. Rock-a-doodle-doo? Yeah. Is it rock-a-doodle or rock-a-doodle-doo? I think it's just rock-a-doodle. I think this is probably the least controversial thing we've gotten wrong if we're getting it wrong. Probably, yeah. Sometimes I think people are getting mad at listening to us, but this is the thing where no one cares. Probably. And on that note... Let's move on. Let's move along. Uh, <laughs> outside of his film work, Randy Newman's most popular song is Short People, mm-hmm. or his most successful song anyway, commercially, mm-hmm. uh, which is an obnoxiously catchy song that Randy Newman himself does not like, yeah. or at least is you know annoyed by. He liked it enough to include it on his most recent... Randy Newman's songbook series, which is him redoing a lot of songs from his past albums. So he clearly, you know, still has ownership of it, like still feels enough good enough about it to perform it. But I think was annoyed that that was the song that really took people's attention. Well, I think it's I don't want to go too off on a tangent here while you're doing your backstory, but I think it's a high concept song in some ways in that, like, he often writes from a point of view that's not his. And that is hard for people to get their heads around. And if he's expressing views, they are going to equate them with him and not with the character that he's writing from, which I think is why he's been very successful as a uh, sound, like a songwriter for movies, because uh, he is very good at writing from a character's point of view. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's short people as kind of an annoying song as it is still if you can get someone on board board with that song just as a concept mm-hmm. like if you can get them to like you know to get to the narrator is not the songwriter and the singer is not endorsing this point of view because mm-hmm. it is a song that satirizes bigotry which is a big thing for randy newman yeah so it's not totally misrepresentative of his catalog yeah it just i feel like a lot of people don't see the satire which is weird because it's it, it's bizarre to think that someone would write a song like legitimately criticizing short people for being short yeah i'm just thinking about rednecks in that that expresses views that randy newman himself does not have but people in the world do that's true it's true short people was sort of a uh 
Randy Newman. It's easier to see the satire technique of yeah, sort of inhabiting this point of view of like an off kilter or unstable or totally reprehensible character. Mm -hmm. But this is sort of like the comic version of that. Yeah. But but even still, like I want to say it was softer to to to, easier to take. But people still got pretty mad about this song. Yeah. (laughs) People thought he was actually like against short people as a concept. He's not a tall man. He's like six foot. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't think it. He looks very short. Like yeah, your mental image of him is probably like a short little squat guy. But yeah. He's actually pretty tall. Oh. Right? I had to look that up myself. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty big deal. He's been nominated for 20 Academy Awards. He's That's won a lot. Twice. He's got, yeah, three Emmys, six Grammys. He's in the, the song. Egot yet? Um, he's no. a, has he written a musical? Um. He has written a musical. He has written a musical. Has he been? Has he had a musical <laughs> produced and on Broadway and been nominated for a Tony? He has not. Okay. Uh, Randy Newman's Faust did not receive any Tony nominations that I know of. I don't think it was produced. It was. Faust had a limited run in San Diego. Uh, it was. It was pr- directed by Michael Greif. So you know, he's doing okay for himself. I know that name, director but I can't of, associate it with anything right now. Director of Next to Normal and Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, oh yeah, him. Yeah. It ran in Chicago for a while. It got produced as a one-night-only concert production at uh, New York City's New York City centers. Mm-hmm. Um, but so no, it's, it was never actually eligible for a Tony. But yeah. it's too bad because it's actually pretty good. Anyway, uh, so yeah, he's gotten a bunch of awards. He's born in L.A. He lived in New Orleans for a time though as a kid. He grew which up there. Yeah. Explains a lot of uh, his sound. A lot of his sound. A lot of bluesy roots, rootsy stuff. Uh, three of his uncles were noted Hollywood Hollywood film score composers, okay, including Alfred Newman. Randy Newman worked as a songwriter for several years before releasing his first solo album in 1968. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's you know he was even before then and then up you know to the present day he's been covered by a lot of other artists. Uh, I didn't know this until I started uh, looking up stuff for this episode. He did the orchestral arrangements for Peggy Lee's "Is That All There Is." So Jason, so Kelsey, you made me a playlist. I did 35 songs, 23 of which are individual songs from across Randy Newman's long and varied career from separate albums, and 12 of which are just the 12 songs from his album, Good Old Boys, from 1974. I mean, I have questions about, because you put them in a very specific order. Right. I sort of curated a list. And I wanted to, the order was a point of, like, it needed to be in that order. So why, why? The order specifically sort of has to do with the album Good Old Boys, mm-hmm. which I is my favorite thing Randy Newman's ever done. I think it's his best work. So basically what I tried to do when I crafted this playlist was sort of create like a pretty a more, a more welcoming entryway into Randy Newman's catalog because his songs can be, like we've already sort of touched on, uh, a little bit off-putting because the characters in them are, you know, range from a little bit you know, a little wacky, to racists and child murderers. So I wanted to, you know, create a path for you Mm -hmm. that would sort of introduce you to some of those elements early on and, like, his sort of typical humor and his, you know, his songwriting craft and then sort of gradually get a little bit deeper into the the really, you know, the the nasty stuff. So, Kelsey. (laughs) So, Jason. Was I successful? Successful in what? Oh, in creating a, a an accessible entryway into Randy Newman's oeuvre. Did I do good? I think you did. Yeah, you started with um the the great debate. 
Uh, no, Sarah, so, which Sarah previously played for me on uh, the road trip, which I liked, if only for the fact that it uh, uses the research triangle as a plot point. It specifically, <laughs> sort of. it specifically takes place in the in Durham, North Carolina, yeah. part of the research triangle. Yeah. Which is, you know, very close to where Sarah went to school and where we grew up, more or less. But I listened to it again today and I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on here. Like the narrative of the song is about science, but it's also about not science. The, nar- the narrative of, of the, the great debate is basically that these, like someone has gathered together all like the highest members of both like religious orders and just people who are on the side of religion. And then like all the great thinkers and scientists and quote unquote rational minds on one mm-hmm. side and is going to have them like just hash it out once and for all. Yeah. And this person, whoever's conducting this affair, sort of raises up these big questions about like evolution or dark matter mm-hmm. or okay. anything like that. And then sort of has has the side of science sort of say their piece, mm-hmm. then sort of just cast it aside very casually by, you know, with the refrain of I'll take Jesus every time. Yeah. And it's sort of a, it's reasonably funny, but then yeah. a character stands up and calls out the, uh, the you know, the sort of director of the whole event as a as a straw man. <laughs> and points out that they're all just creations of randy newman and that he's just set them up so they can sound sound ridiculous <laughs> yeah it ends up being sort of about the power of music it's a very long song it, it's, it's a long song but i liked it as an intro because it's sort of very theatrical i think and it very, i think it, i liked it a lot it's clearly not like a confessional singer songwriter type situation right and i think it sort of shows like it gives a good background on randy newman too because like his one of his characters calls him a self-about atheist communist yeah and just gives you an idea of where he stands generally speaking but mm-hmm. shows that he's sort of also self-aware and then um, from that I sort of dipped down into a few more you know not as hard to take songs Dayton, Ohio, 1903, which is just a pretty song. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking back at it. I, I drop you into one of the creepier ones actually right away, which is Suzanne, which is about a guy who finds a woman's name in a telephone booth and then decides he's going to basically hunt her down. I feel like it's it's hard because like I'm listening to these songs and a lot of the times Randy Newman's, um like the tone of the song doesn't really match the lyrics necessarily. Yeah. That's occasionally part of the point. Yeah. Like Suzanne is a dark, slinky sort of, it's, it's a little bit bluesy, but sort of a dark, slinky mm-hmm. romancing song. Mm-hmm. But the person, because the person's singing it, the narrator mm-hmm. thinks he's like a ladies man, but he's actually just a creepy stalker. I think the playlist you did was pretty good. I was taken aback sort of when we got to the sort of grittier stuff, let's say. I had a lot of trouble with rednecks. Did you have any trouble? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. That's, that's own, the topic of its own, of, on its own uh on its own did you have any responses like that like discomfort before that like as it went along not really what was your general impression of randy newman before you got to rednecks i mean before it's like i think he is a he's a very narrative songwriter and i drew a lot of lines between him and, and warren zevon who we've discussed on the podcast before uh, i think it was the first time we mentioned doing a podcast on randy newman <laughs> um did we did we do that? Are we are we fulfilling one of our annotations? I don't know. Oh, that would be so exciting if that we actually, would be actually did one. Because I think for some of the other ones, like it's not always from the point of view. It's sometimes he is just telling a third person story, and that's easier for me um, than when he like sings from the point of view of a character. And I can't recall a time when I was like uncomfortable necessarily until we got to there. 
I, there were some things where I was not, like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I would have said that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we should probably just dive into this because it's sort of going to be hard for me to talk around it until we actually address it. Yeah. But Good Old Boys is a sort of concept album about the American South. It was originally conceived as a much more like direct and linear concept album about a character named Johnny Cutler. Okay. And there were sort of would have been like in, in interstitials or in between songs, skits, mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. establishing the narrative of the of the of the album. Mm-hmm. And he ended up uh, Newman ended up sort of moving away from that. Mm-hmm. But I think the album still works sort of as maybe more of a song cycle about the American South. Mm-hmm. And as I think, like I said, I think it holds together as a cohesive work. Uh, but it opens uh, with the song Rednecks, which is p- probably the most notable song on there, largely because Randy Newman says the insler about eight times during it. More than eight. It's actually uh, exactly eight. Really? Is it, yeah. This is just, it, it felt like it, it feels was. feels like a lot more. because it, It's eight too many. <laughs> yeah now obviously he's singing character yeah and he's you know using that word to stir up complicated feelings yeah um but you know a lot of people, i had a lot of complicated uh, feelings about <laughs> fairly fairly so a lot of people would probably argue that's not okay for any white artist to use that word in any context i would argue that yeah yeah i mean i don't think it's our place to have that conversation no not uh, as two white people whether or not it's appropriate exactly um so i don't want to get too into that I mean, for me, it was hard because I, I have that feeling that I don't I don't think any white artist should be allowed to use that word. But also. And that's I don't want to say that's the totally reasonable stance to have. I do yeah. not, you know, I do not have anything against anyone having that stance. But also because when you come outside of it and you're looking at it, he's like, OK, he's sort of drawing attention to the bigotry of these people who exist in the South and and drawing attention to their ignorance and their, in some ways, stupidity. But that's also really hard for me because my family is those people. Not in the, like, you've met my family. They're not, like, bigoted, terrible people. Like, just that they're from the backcountry and are somewhat self-avowed, you know, rednecks. Like, I mean, I don't think they ever call themselves that, but, like definitely been called that and i i have friends like who are liberal awesome people but like are you know from the country and that that was always something hard for me growing up to like get around and like there there's an image of people from kentucky and tennessee and north carolina and and those places of you know stupid or backwards or whatever and yeah there's bigoted terrible people from those places but there's also intelligent liberal good people from those places and that that's it's always hard for me when they're all lumped together yeah um that's again very fair i will say i think that the character that's being presented in the song rednecks is Mm -hmm. a little bit more complex than it seems at first because he's sort of well he's he's obviously not, not a nice guy he he uses he uses you know, racial slurs very casually, and he's pretty clearly anti-Semitic. He defends Lester Maddox, who was a staunch segregationist and, and again, a bad dude. And so we don't like him, no. like right off the bat. Uh, but the reason we don't like him is because, well, um, one of the reasons we don't like him is because he seems to support institutionalized inequality, or at least he thinks it's enough of a non-issue that he can joke about it. Mm-hmm. But 
the the thing is like he at the, at, at the end he sort of when the song sort of makes the turn at the end he makes a pretty solid point about how that same institutionalized racism is present across the entire country and is not limited to just the south oh yeah and so which like, i think is a super valid point so it's impossible so you can't dismiss that no so it sort of is it's sort of that sort of catch 22 almost or just yeah. i just don't sort of know that song. i would have written a song about it like this in general no, I certainly would never have written it like this. This song does make me uncomfortable much more th- now than it did when I first heard it in two thousand nine. Yeah, like I said, I I, I do want I do I do think there's a difference between Randy Newman in nineteen seventy four using this word to make a point in the song, between that and like about the complexities of racism and Southern identity. Yeah, between that and like. Quentin Tarantino writing a monologue for himself where he says that word a bunch of times. Oh yeah, because, totally. Because he thinks it's funny. Um, but I also, I mean, I, I also love Pulp Fiction, and so I sort of have the privilege of being able to hear this word and not experience it in the way someone else would. So my perspective is not super relevant, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, I do still like this album a lot. Honestly, I like the rest of the album a lot more than this song. And I like, but I like this album. This first song sort of like launches like, okay, here's where we're at. And like just throws this down. I but like, then, then spends the rest of the album sort of. If you look at this album as sort of an exploration of the same, if maybe not the exact character, mm-hmm. then the sort of mindset that produces this particular character, it sort of slowly unrolls that in a way that shows a lot of different shades to it. I think it, I, it's hard to listen to this album today in the world that we're in right now, specifically. <laughs> um, and not have strange feelings about it because it, it was in 1974. You could never make this album today. Uh, no, no. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's necessarily a bad thing. No, <laughs> I do not. Um, I, I do want to say I, I this is one of my favorite pieces of fiction about Southern identity. Any of it. Faulkner can kiss my ass. Okay. When you put this song, this album on the table. Okay. Um, because like Birmingham is like sort of a very nice song about this person's hometown, how much they love it. And it's sort of filled with a lot of affectionate details. Mm-hmm. Um, Marie is just a very beautiful love song. Um, and then there's other, other, and there's a couple other songs that are just like nice songs about people. And there's also songs about, you know, this sort of dealing with, you know, not being able to find a job and suffering from like a catastrophic flood that wipes out your entire town. Yeah. Uh, specifically Louisiana in 1927. Yeah. The name of the song. I think this album is too topical. Uh, we're, we're moving into it, aren't we? Yeah. But then there's a whole, the whole chunk of the album that's about Huey P. Long. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a, he was the governor of Louisiana. Yeah. And he eventually became uh, a member of the U S Senate. Well, he was sort of a, fantastical hillbilly son of a bitch character is he played by tommy Lee jones in a movie they made a movie about they made two movies about him sort of called all the king's men is tommy lee jones in them <laughs> i think he's in one of them maybe have you seen this movie maybe they're not actually about him they're about a character inspired by him okay like the song every man a king is just huey long's actual campaign song <laughs> performed by randy newman and just apparently a room full of people that was a good song too. I'm like. Well, that song is not written by Randy Newman. It's written. I know, by but Huey it Long. was like the 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 atmosphere 
that Newman created in the performance. Right. Was good. And I think when you bundle it all together, it shows how a character like, well, because Huey Long like sort of did rise to power and basically was running his state like a dictatorship when he was governor of Louisiana. It's crazy. And he was super duper corrupt on every level. And he like bullied the press. He fired anyone who pissed him off. He just was uh, uh, so hateable. But he also had a lot of like extremely populist leanings. Like he actually like built a lot of infrastructure and did a lot of things to help poor people and actually had a lot of sort of more, maybe more leftist leaning views. Mm -hmm. But he was, but he wasn't a nice guy really. And he eventually got shot to death uh, under under circumstances, which are still somewhat mysterious. Uh, I mean, not really. Still still somewhat mysterious. Uh, Some people think it's a little bit weird. The descendants of the guy who shot him think it's all a little bit weird and murky. Huh. I don't know that how many other people really think it's that mysterious, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, if if you look at the rise of Huey Long, it's impossible not to think about our current political climate, shall we say? Yeah. Our current president. Oh, God. So I don't I, like thinking about our current president. No, nobody does. Mm-hmm. Well, roughly 29% of the country does, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> I think this album is is really good in the way it shows how the totality of this sort of regional experience can lead you to support a person like this. How you can get swept up in that wave of populism if you're just a person in a sort of backwater area of the country who's sort of got a lot of like systemic problems around them, but also harbors some pretty reprehensible views. So this is like the soundtrack to Hillbilly Elegy? Um, It's like Hillbilly Elegy, but good. (laughs) Is how I would describe it. Sure. I think um, you've listened to this album enough times that you've had uh, time to formulate a a very deep and and uh, complex narrative around it that Randy Newman would have wanted you to. I think maybe I haven't had time to do that and experience it. Mm. But I think going into listening to it again, which I will, because I did enjoy this music very much. Um, I will go into it with that in mind. Yeah. I should have prefaced it more for you. I apologize for that. It's okay. Because I've been listening to this album since 2009. Yeah. Off and on. But like, I've been thinking about it a lot since then, pretty much. Yeah. It's sort of like, is in my mind, well, obviously it's an album about the American South. How could you, like, I just sort of, it's one of the things I didn't even think about, you know, because in my to me it's so obvious that because yeah. I've had a lot of experience with it, and yeah, it's not like I said, there's not really a clear narrative through line. But if you look at it, sort of like it starts off with this one guy and sort of in sort of a vague way, sort of zooms outward to show like more of the world he lives in, and then like and then sort of at the end sort of narrows back down. I think it's really really good. I mean, it's not perfect. Like I. Could I could give you a rationale for why uh, the song "Naked Man" is on here, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's not super related to, to what I think is the the core theme of the album. Um, and then there's a uh, then there's a wedding in Cherokee County, which is basically just a long, uh, stupid sort of body joke about really like destitute people. I'm glad you mentioned the parallels between Randy Newman and Warren Zevon, though. Yeah, because I think I mentioned this during the Warren Zevon episode, but. Both, they're both singer-songwriters from the late 60s and, and were very popular in the 70s. 
both heavy on the piano both had a downturn in the 90s because there's definitely a section there that i did not like <laughs> uh well there's um uh, uh they both did not do well in the 80s and 90s yeah uh for various reasons you know there's a lot of bad production choices on randy newman's uh 80s and 90s albums there's a lot of much worse ones on warren zevon's 80s and 90s albums which we have discussed at length in the warren zevon episode go listen to it the thing is randy newman got the chance to do the thing i always wished warren zevon had lived long enough to get remaster which is not a remaster but randy newman the randy newman songbook series which several of these are from yeah is just him like he went through his whole catalog and picked out like nearly 50 songs and just Mm -hmm. performed them like over over the past 10 years just him and a piano very sparse just focused on his lyrics and so if there's a song whose production you think is terrible uh you know there's probably a, a, better, version a better version on, on those albums yeah and i i just wish, wish warren zevon had been able to do that because there's a lot of good al- good songs from his there's a lot of good songwriting buried in just warren zevon's ter- 80s and 90s albums that yeah. are just either bad production or just bad instrumentation there was one song i forget uh, what it was i was like why does this sound so not randy newman but i can't figure out what it, i can't remember what it was was it i love la i liked the sort of huey lewis vibe that it had at the beginning and then it was just like production value went down when it went into the chorus that that song is the one i think salvageable maybe maybe one or two there's a couple okay songs in that album mm-hmm. but all like the majority of it sounds like that yeah which is why there's not much of that on there yeah that album is also probably my least favorite thing randy newman's done because yeah. there's like he's talking he's talked about racism in other songs yeah but there's a one or maybe even two songs on that album trouble in paradise yeah. which use racist language yeah. to, to again in character to make a point whatever but to i think much lesser effect and again it's just you know not worth me getting into really but i just it when when you hear it done like that, it really stands out. Like this is, this is a this is a bad idea. Don't do this. Don't drag this into your shitty character sketch. Yeah, um, I think this was definitely a very informative experience for me because like I knew Randy Newman, but I didn't know Randy Newman. Do you think you know Randy Newman more than I ever wanted to? Probably. Um, then you're you're the next contestant on my hit new game show. <laughs> no, Randy Newman. <laughs> I don't know, because I, I, I love Down in New Orleans, the Princess and the Frog soundtrack. Is that the same song as the, Going Down the Bayou? I don't know. That's a different song, no. Isn't it nice to know that Randy Newman has written one of the, the great Disney villain songs? Yeah! Or just that he's part of that canon? I actually, that is, I would say that that song, Friends on the Other Side, is the best song in that, in that movie. It is. It is definitely the most memorable. And does he sing it too? No. Okay. No. But but um, you know, I think the the Disney villain song is usually the most memorable song of the movie. Oh yeah. I mean, poor unfortunate souls. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, the the villain song is the only good song in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um. I don't like the villain song. I don't actually like that song. Do you like that movie? No, not yeah, really. Yeah, well, okay, there you go. But I think that Topsy Turvy is the more memorable song. I don't... Because the villain song in, in Hunchback of the Drum is Hellfire, right? Fire! <laughs> Hellfire! It's about a fucking clergyman struggling with feelings of lust and, and rage yeah, and, and sin and guilt. Right. What a fucked up thing to put in a kid's movie, though. Right? 
I don't usually, I don't that usually, movie's really fucked up. I don't honestly. usually go for like, can you believe they got this new kids movie? Because kids can handle, I think, more darkness than we give them credit for. But Hellfire is a f- fucking weird thing to throw like an eight year old. Yeah. I know because I saw it when I was like seven. I, I would, I would didn't say quite get it. That going back to Randy Newman, that Friends on the Other Side is at least top two Disney villain songs. I really like Poor Unfortunate Souls. But yeah, but uh, it's hard to say if that's the best song. And with Little Mermaid, it's got just wall-to-wall classics. Yeah. But it's definitely the best song in Prince and the Frog. I like Down in New Orleans, which Randy Newman himself sings in, in the movie. Um, yeah, a little, it's like little a, tip of the hat. Because it's like a narrative. There's not, not a character singing it. But I think this it's definitely exposed me to a, a Randy Newman that I didn't know. <laughs> I think there was that we just maybe tried to cover too much. You think so? I maybe think did too much. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like his his career has such breadth that it, it's hard to sort of pinpoint something. He's had a long and varied career. Yeah. He's been doing this shit, as Jay Z would say, since Chips was out, and then before that as well. Um, I do kind of want to talk about his voice. Yeah. Because he has a very distinctive voice. Uh, Whereas so I think like someone like Warren Zevon doesn't necessarily have a super distinctive voice. I would say Warren Zevon less so than Randy Newman fits yeah. into my love of singers, songwriters whose voices are mm, unusual, sound, yeah. shall we say? Same. Bad, some might say. Sometimes. At one time, maybe not now, but, or maybe now, I don't know. You could have a sort of bad voice if you were a good songwriter. I think that, that might be less the case now, honestly. Really? I think there's been overall a move, and this might turn some other stuff, actually. But there was a, you know, in movies and TV shows back like 30, 40 years ago, you could have like average looking people as like the main characters yeah that's obviously always been more true for men than women that's what obviously. i'm saying but now it's like you can't have like you can't have any sort of career where your people look at you yeah. unless you are like you got to have that randy newman songwriting skill and that philip phillips face that's what i'm saying it's like you could have a sort of mediocre voice and a mediocre face if you were a good songwriter like look at billy joel I don't know if Billy Joel would like being lumped in with Randy Newman in terms of vocal stylings. I mean, Billy Joel has a mediocre voice at Billy, best. Billy Joel has the absolute, like, no frills, no bells and whistles, standard <laughs> human male voice. Yeah. The absolute baseline of what a person talking can sound like is, is Billy Joel. I think he's gotten better with age, honestly. Yeah. Billy Joel's age has gotten a lot more character. But I would venture to call Randy Newman's voice good, just different. Yeah, he can't. Do a lot of the stuff you might normally associate with singing. Yeah. Like I've actually, I remember reading an interview with him once where he was, where he was talking about how it, different things are when he writes for himself versus other people. Yeah. And he says like, you know, when I'm writing for other people, I can do stuff like, you know, like, like me personally, I can't hold a note. Mm-hmm. So if I could do that, I would write different songs for myself. I really like his voice, but I really like a like baritone and a piano. Like those are two sounds that I very much enjoy. And Randy Newman provides both of them. Yeah, sound like a like sound like a big old human frog on a piano. Big old singing songs frog. about God and racism. The reason I wanted to talk about that is because I like his voice a lot, and I like that sort of talky talky low thing he has going. Talky <laughs> low, low talky thing he has going. Um, and I had a recommendation actually. <gasps> 
what? What? What's happening? What, I know. What? What is this? Twenty sixteen ruined my life. I don't know, man. What? I don't know. Um, but I was recommended on some social network that I should listen to uh, a nice Mitchell's concept album, Hades Town. Ooh, I've heard of this. Which is a uh, um, a concept album, which is the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Ooh. Um. So the it came out like 2010, and I hadn't heard it before. But last year they staged a musical adaptation directed by Rachel Chavkin, Chavkin, Chavin, the the woman who directed uh, Natasha Pierre. Oh. Um. Uh, and it was at the New York Theater Workshop, and the cast album was coming out in October. But I listened to the um, concept album, and it's a full it's a full cast concept album, so there's uh, characters and, and stuff, and it's a song cycle. Um, but the uh, Hades character is uh, a very low-voiced, talky, uh, Randy Newman-sounding uh, dude. And I was kind of listening to the, that right before you sent me the... Um, the playlist and i was like oh that's a that's a thing um but again it's it's also narrative in a different way and has a lot of sort of similar sounds it's a it's based in a sort of future depression era like it takes a lot of 30s sounds but sort of puts them in a sort of dystopian future um and i think i think there's a lot that could be there's a lot of 30 sounds that also make their way into uh Randy newman's work um, he has a very sort of jazzy, ragtimey way about him. So I would give that a listen. I certainly will. I, I didn't. Mean, I didn't mean to do the whole like. That's like the most obnoxious thing when you're like, "Have you seen or read or heard this?" And someone's like, "Oh yeah, I've heard about that." <laughs> I think Mike Birbiglia has a joke where where he says that 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 basically means like, "No, I haven't seen it, but I like you." <laughs> I'm just sort of looking up the gentleman who portrayed Hades in that show. Greg, and it was Greg e- Brown? Or Pat- in the show? I, haven't, I don't know who did it in the Patrick show. Patrick Page. Okay. Uh, who was the man who originated the role of the Green Goblin in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Nice. <laughs> uh, widely recognized to be the only entertaining thing about that movie. The show? Show. Show. But Persephone is a Helene from Natasha Pierre. Is that in the album? In the show. Oh, Justin Vernon was on this album. Yeah, I, I remember. I heard about this. Yeah. I'm doing it again. I just, I saw the poster for the production like every day when I was leaving my subway stop for about a year. Yeah. Back when it, whatever was happening, I'll check that out. You should. It's funny you can you compare Randy Newman to a devilish character because he portrays uh, he inhabits the role of Mephistopheles in his production in his in, Faust. In, in, in Faust. Yeah. Faustus. Faust. And James Taylor plays God. I do, I do need to listen to that. And Don Henley plays Faust. That is that is a, a lot. Elton John's also in it, but I'm not clear on what his role is. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Because, well, the show's, and then the Bonnie Raitt's in it, and Linda, and Linda Ronstadt. Whoa. It's not really clear what the, I mean, I know what the, what the plot of Faust is, but yeah. it's not quite easy to follow what's going on in this particular interpretation of it, because yeah. the, it's not sung through, yeah. and there's no way to access the script or the mm-hmm. storyline, which is I think is fine, because from what I can gather, the script was universally put down as the worst part of the show song is good though i i would love for randy newman to write a musical a stage musical a, a, a second musical a, I, one that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah me too um 
I I like his narrative voice a lot when it's a little more straightforward. I think satire is a really hard thing to portray in song. I think he does as, as well as you can do with it, uh, with to his credit. But I think I understand how it could be hard listening to it to like separate those things. Yeah, it's we're, we're conditioned not to think of songs as being works of fiction the same way we think of novels or, or movies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it took me like like pretty like in, like into probably college honestly until I started like to really wrap my head around the idea of like wait when someone writes a song in the first person they're not always talking about their actual lived experience. What? What is this? Um, I mean, I think that still takes me like if I'm listening to a song that's like that. I still have to like acknowledge that that's happening. Yeah. I can't like I that's, had, that's where my brain automatically goes. I had to sort of very, and I still sort of do very consciously refer to the narrator of a song as opposed to the singer, just not to assume that they're you know inhabiting the role of themselves, mm-hmm. which can often you know overcomplicate things in the other way. Like say if you listen to a, a Taylor Swift song and assume she's singing about someone other than herself, you would probably be mistaken. <laughs> you would probably be overcomplicating the issue yeah probably but yeah i think i i think randy newman has a really strong grasp on on a narrative voice and because of that i would like to see him write a musical yeah well, you have, also preferably with a part for a voice that's like his because i don't think there's enough low voices in musicals that's like that's another thing. Yeah, there's a lot of there's not a lot of baritones in music in general. Yeah, particularly a bit like male male parts in musicals. I think used to have more range to them, right? Mm-hmm. They're yeah. all tenors now. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I love a tenor voice. Don't get me wrong, but oh, like oh no, of course. I like the there the, there are not as many roles for baritones and basses, and they are a very pretty sound. Maybe not Randy Newman's, but well, <laughs> it's <laughs> but a unique I, sound. But it's a good sound. It's a sound. I like it. Yeah. I mean, me too, obviously. So next time, it's a very exciting episode 28. A very special Ruin My Life. I don't know if it's episode 28, but I think it is. Episode 27 of Ruin My Life. Episode 27 of Ruin My Life. It's our anniversary. It'll be exactly a year since we aired our first missive out into the culture. It's crazy. Yeah, and we'll be commemorating it by... Eh, we don't know yet. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about Peaky Blinders again. We're not going to talk about Peaky Blinders we're ever not again. We're going to talk about Peaky Blinders again. We don't know what we're going to do yet, though. We do not, but let's pretend that we do know what we're going to do. And you all will just have to tune in and find out. Same ruined time? No. Same life station? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that one came out a little bit rough. Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain from their self-titled album, available now on Bandcamp, and also available roughly a year and a half ago, and before that on Bandcamp. (laughs) It's been available on Bandcamp for a while. It's out there. Y'all need to start buying it. Our logo was designed by Carly Sussman. Um, You can find her work at carly-rose.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y hyphen rose like the flower.com she's great you should patronize her <laughs> well don't don't patronize her but like be a patron be a patron hers. unto her unto her yes that feels weird to do it again no no, no, no. <laughs> leave, it in. leave it in i don't care if people see all my blemishes i'm an, I'm an imperfect person 
also i'm not trying to present a false front to the world <laughs> also if you like us maybe maybe go listen to one of our other episodes and rate and review yeah rate and review if you like this episode, you definitely like us, so you should listen to all the rest of them. So yeah, you've come this far. You've come this far. Uh, if you like hearing me talk about music, I do have a pop music podcast yeah. with my buddy Daniel Dockery, who's a writer for Crack.com. Yeah. So, you it's know. It's really good. It's called The 40 Ounce. He's, he's legitimately funny, mm-hmm. and you're properly recognized for it. You're both funny. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've not been officially recognized for it. You're not a writer for Crack.com? And once, I, once I am, all my problems will go away. I'm sorry. And I'll finally have peace. Yeah, it's called The 40 Ounce. It's called The 40 and we Ounce. We talked about Pitbull a lot. More recently, we talked about Kesha. So that was a little bit better. Yeah. It was good. You guys were like, there was a lot of legitimate criticism. We got in there with a celebration. Yeah. Well, like, like criticism in that, like, you guys acted as critics. Yeah. Not no, in, you, like, you thought things were bad. You used the term <laughs> correctly. I just wanted to make sure anyone listening knows that we didn't. You know, attack Kesha. Kesha. Yeah, that'd be a Kesha's really awesome. That's a yeah, that'd be a really bad look. We love Kesha here. <laughs> yeah, Kesha's great. Her new album's great. Spoiler, it's good. Go listen to it. Yeah. Oh, I gave it away. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, if you like us, rate and review us on iTunes. Tell your friends. You can follow us on Twitter, all the various social networks. Facebook. And that's it. Twitter, Facebook. I guess we only have Twitter and Facebook. That's that's two of them. That's two of them. That's two of them. Yeah. I mean, there's not really much use in investing too much in any other ones because they all die after two years. True. Well, Instagram's been around a while now. You don't want to be going back through someone's old podcast feed and hearing, follow us on Vine. Ooh. Rough. Hit us up on Zanga. (laughs) Were podcasts and Zanga in existence at the same time? Almost certainly not. Um, If you're in the New York area and you like podcasts, you probably like Max Fun Podcasts. And you might be in the Max Fun NYC group, but you should join that group and you should come to the prom that me and producer Sarah are throwing. It's on September 23rd. With a special appearance by DJ Ace and Edwards. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Get it? Because my name is Jason Edwards. Jason's so DJ. DJing. Ace Basically, and Edwards. you should come. Max Fun NYC prom. Also, 2017. Also, Max Fun, please remember this free ad space we gave you. Yeah. When you're looking to. Yeah, pluck out that new crop of podcasts. Yeah. Throw them in your bushel. Take them back to the podcast headquarters. Um, but yeah, we love you all. Thanks for thanks for listening. Making another magical episode of Ruin My Life. I don't know if it was magical. I'm very sorry about this episode. I feel very underprepared. It's okay, Kelsey, because there's two magical words that make everything better. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. they wish i would go ahead and fuck my life up can't let them get to me and even though i always fuck my life up only i can mention me they wish i would go ahead and fuck my life up can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me, only I can mention me, only I can mention me. This just in, Kelsey Goldman is a good friend and a good person. Thank you. And she doesn't deserve anything bad to happen to her. Thank you.
Thank you, Jason. You're a good friend and a good person and deserve all I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you right there. I'm going to report that there has been a... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> what are you going to say? I was going to report... I, the only thing I think of was like a fictional terrorist attack. <laughs> I didn't want to bring the mood down so fast. 